0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello and welcome to New Books and Gender Studies, a podcast from the New Books Network. I'm Isabel Machado and I'll be your host for this episode. And today I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Ellie D. Hernandez about Transmovimientos: Latinx Queer Migrations, Bodies and Spaces. It was co-authored with Eddie Francisco Alvarez Jr., and Magda Garcia, and published by the University of Nebraska Press in 2021. Dr. Hernandez is an associate professor in the Department of Chicana/o Studies at the University of California at Santa Barbara, where she teaches and writes extensively on ChicanaX literature and culture, citizenship, transnational Chicana O and Latina O cultural production and Latinx LGBTQ studies. She's also the author of Post-Nationalism in Chicana O Literature and Culture and co-author of The Unmaking of Latina O Citizenship, Culture, Politics, and Aesthetics. Transmovimientos focuses on queer, trans, and gender nonconforming communities of immigrants and social dissidents who reflect on and write about diaspora and migratory movements while navigating geographical and embodied spaces across gendered and racialized contexts. It forms a nuanced conversation between scholarship and social activism that speaks in concrete ways about diasporic and migratory LGBTQ communities who suffer from immoral immigration policies and political discourses that produce untenable living situations. It just received the silver medal in the best LGBTQ-themed book category at the 2022 International Latino Book Prize. Ellie, welcome to New Books in Gender Studies and congratulations on the prize.
1: Thank you so much, Isabel. That's a wonderful introduction. Yes, we are very pleased with our finalist book prize, as well as the the silver medal. Uh, We worked very, very hard on the book. So it was a a surprise for us, believe it or not. We were kind of surprised when we, in fact, were were given the notification of being a finalist for the Latino International Book Award. And so we were quite excited and pleased and we shared it with the contributors of the of the book Transmovimientos and so we were very honored and pleased and excited at the same time so we're we're we're, we're getting good buzz from the book and we continue to you know uh, push for more insights into what the book um, gives and provides the audiences and the readers
2: it was a, a very well deserved uh, award. So to get us started, this is a question I love to ask everybody that comes in um, to the podcast. Uh, that's something I'm particularly always curious about. Tell us the book's origin story or how did Transmovimientos come about?
1: It, it came about. Um, it started with me. Um, uh, I've been at you know working with the publication of books for about. I don't know 15 16 17 years. So I had this idea and I and I am from the US Mexico border. I'm from Laredo, Texas, which is right on the border to Mexico. So I grew up in a kind of transnational uh ambiente. We speak bilingually, we switch back and forth. We don't adhere to one culture or the other and we sort of do our own thing. And so in in terms of this particular book, Transmovimientos I kept getting this this sort of push, this sort of um, inspiration, and the title came about. Transmovimientos uh, came about through me. You know, I kept thinking about this title, and then I would let it go. I would get the title back in my head and I would let it go. And I go, I don't have time for this. (laughs) And, and finally it just settled in and I go, I think I have to write this book or I have to put together a book on this. This was sort of like just very important. This was in 2015 that we put out the call for papers, um, the CFP. And so we put it out in like 2015 and people started contributing and and uh, throughout, um, you know, the summer, th- throughout the winter and summer of 2015. And then, of course, we hit, um, you know, the following year, we finally, you know, collect some of the essays and we start to organize the book and so forth. And this is already 2016. And oh, we we find out that, you know, by uh, by November of 2016, we find out that, um, Trump has been elected president. So we were all kind of shocked and startled. And so we had to put the book on the down low because many people were concerned and upset and, and afraid uh, because of the topic that we, we were dealing with. I mean, after all, look at what we're working with. We're we're working with immigrants, we're working with transgender, and we're working with Latinx populations, all of which were... were um, targets by the Trump administration. <laughs> and so we, we we continued to work on the project, um, uh, even though it seemed like uh, a kind of, you know, dangerous terrain that we were navigating. But in terms of how the title and how the organization of the book came about, it started with me and this title in my head. And so I tapped este Eddie Alvarez, uh, who was a graduate student and then graduated and got his first job uh in in New York Eddie alvarez does transgender studies whereas I specialize a lot in um uh, transnational studies or national- you know nationalism post nationalism and transnationalism so we were bringing the different component parts together and I had at the time a research grant for a couple of thousand dollars and I hired Magda garcia and when she started bringing in her component her her sort of interest in direction and, and contribution, we said, well, you know, she has to be a co-editor for this book. And so we slowly brought the different component parts together into this book on trans movimientos.
2: Just, uh, you sort of started to articulate that, but tell us uh, what is, how you define here. I think it's just such a beautiful definition of transmovimientos, right? It's bringing together different ways of understanding the word.
1: It is, it is, and the transmovimiento part begins with the language. Like I mentioned, I'm from the border and we just would speak English. We would just go back and forth, sin, you know, sin pensando, right? We would just do it. We didn't, we weren't conscious of the rules or the boundaries of language and nation, okay? And so what I, in, 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 in that sort of vein of thinking and that sort of philosophy of thinking, I go, why should we adhere to the rules of academia, or of established academic thought when we can rewrite the rules? Why should we limit ourselves in thinking about trans? And what is that? What is that trans, and how does it play out with us? And so everybody, all the co-editors, have some kind of connection to the trans movimiento, whether as an immigrant, whether as a borderlands, whether as transgender, whether as, you know, non-binary and so forth. So basically, transmovimientos, if you really want to get into el sentido of the word, it, it is about not adhering to the rules. And so we believed and we, we practice this in the way we conceptualize the book, but we also believe that it originates from queer thought. (laughs) queer I mean, if you recall queer theory, it it was all about breaking the rules, about like, nah, we're going to do whatever we want. It's like, why should I live in this miserable set of conditions? (laughs) And so For us, Movimiento was the first uh, liberatory step in trying to articulate what we believe is going on. And not give so much credit to the citational realities, you know, that are out there. I go, we got to make up our own articulations. We just have to. I mean, why why should we, you know, be beholden to a reality that doesn't suit our interests? In other words, why would we put on clothes that doesn't fit? (laughs) That doesn't work. And so that was the whole thinking of trans movimientos. But the real crux of it is to try to bring together this notion, this major notion of being a transnational or immigrante uh, or somebody who's displaced and the notion of transgender. Okay. Uh, So we think of transgender as also a refusal, a kind of migratory effect from the gendered system. Refusing to live in that gendered system. So you, you know, you, you pack up and you go somewhere else, even if it's in your mind, even if you play it out in your lived reality, that, that the, the previous home doesn't exist anymore. You become like an immigrant. And so I thought this, this just has to happen. This book has just got to materialize because these two realities, the trans embodiments are very unique to the 21st century. And so what better way than to bring in young scholars who want to talk about this, who want to sort of, you know, uh, define their reality. And so that was the thinking behind it. At first, it was just this pesky little word that was that was gnawing at me. And then the next thing I know is like, it's starting to grow and evolve and develop and conceptualize into a 21st century model of Latinx uh, thinking, philosophies, cultural logics, and so forth. So that was the aim. That was sort of the direction that we took with it. But más que nada is that we, we trusted our instincts. We trusted the inspiration that we were getting. And we trusted uh, the young scholars to, to step up and create something that is representative of the reality. But it was very difficult to do. <laughs> within the, the larger part, the greater, the greater part of the Trump administration. We're trying to do this book, and it's like every, every day in the news, there's something horrible <laughs> going on. And so we were able to traverse all these different difficulties along the way. And uh, I think we did, we, we did well considering all the different uh, challenges that were ahead of us. And this uh, rebellion against very
2: stale academic norms can already be seen in in your collection, right? The selection of the texts. The other trends, important trends here is transdisciplinary, right?
1: Right, right, right. A very
2: rich and an important collection of texts that you put here in conversation. And the chapters range from performance analysis to ethnographic pieces, to poetic personal essays. So how did you decide on uh, which pieces to include? Um, uh, Tell me a little bit more about that process.
1: Well, that process involved, again, the call for papers, and we received quite a bit of of interest. We received about maybe 25, 30 submissions that were solid. There were some submissions that were just... um, Promises, but they never uh, actually, you know, gave us uh, an essay. So we we actually poured through about twenty-five or thirty uh, solid selections, and some were some were kind of professional-looking. They were wonderful, but they were more policy-oriented, like for border studies, and didn't really deal with the trans, the sort of nuances of being queer and transnational at the same time. So we we try to. Define it according to the the goals of the book that we wanted to address both both the transnational or migratory, uh, the Latinx for sure, and of course uh, the trans element, the transgender or the trans transmigration and so forth. So we wanted something along both those lines, not exclusively, you know, traditional. Political science type of uh, policy papers. No, we wanted more the the human element, the the substance of, of being uh, a human in this reality of this. What does the transnational mean? Not not in terms of an economic analysis, but what does the transnational and the transgender mean in terms of the human element? How do people articulate uh, their their sense of their sense of place in this? when you feel incredibly displaced um almost on a constant basis and so we wanted to capture that and but we also wanted to create the space uh the academic space so that others might follow our traditional you know uh breaking ground with a new style and a new methodology because we didn't want just uh we didn't want to create the trends here As an object of study, what we were aiming for was to enrich, uh, the lives of others and to, for them to see themselves as part of this book. This is their, you know, this is much a tribute to some of the people that are discussed in this book. In other words, bridge all the different divides, the academic, the geographical, the gendered, and so forth. So that was uh, uh, the aim of the book, is that really, really was to, to form a liberatory practice in the work that we do, to be conscientious. Some some folks are really, they're more committed to the discipline than to the suffering or to the reality that is out there. And we just said, nah, uh uh-uh. We're not going to do that. We're going to commit to what's out there. And, and that's what drove uh, the selection of the, of the pieces. We wanted insight. We wanted sensitivity. We wanted, uh, we wanted a regard for the culture, regard for the people that we're, we're talking about, and so forth. So that's what made it through the list, ultimately. Yes.
2: And um, speaking uh, about this commitment, right, you described the book as a critical anthology that forms a nuanced conversation between scholarship and social activism. So I wanted you to uh, talk a bit more about this, the critical and critical anthology. And was this, you know, the, the plan from the start, I, I believe it is, right, from what you've been telling me and this uh, this combination, right, of theorizing, and analysis with embodied knowledge that's so uh, strong in the book.
1: We had to, you know, uh, definitely go the route of, of a critical um, approach, meaning some, some and by, by critical approach, I mean that we approach things with uh, a critical eye towards the existing social policy, which wasn't hard to do uh, because it was just, you know, horrific what was going on in the last few years. But we also wanted to create a critical space so that others may follow. In other words, we wanted to create uh, what I call our pavers uh, for future scholarship. So, in order to do that, you have to have a critical academic uh, foundation and lens. And so, I wasn't sure if I would, you know, we would be able to find 10, 12, 15 scholars in, in this area. We were breaking ground in this new field. In this new arrangement, and so um, fortunately and interestingly, uh, the junior scholars are the ones who stepped up—the graduate students and the junior people. I, I you know, I, I, just to put it in perspective, there's about there's uh, ten essays in the in the collection, and at the time of submission, and at the time that people were were sending their materials over to us. Uh eight out of the ten people there, or should I say ele- uh eleven, because uh, there's a uh, one one essay that has multiple authors, uh there was about um uh, nine people out of the eleven who were either graduate students or junior professors. That's great. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty amazing. It's, well, only two people were, were on at the senior level, and that was uh, Carlos De Sena and, and uh, Anita Revilla Tijerina. And, um, and so that, just to put in perspective, some, many of them were still graduate students trying to finish up their dissertations. And so they stepped up and really saw the opening. They saw, they saw what I was seeing. They, they sort of felt and were already writing it. But it's one thing to sort of write a La brava academically. It's another thing to find your community. Okay. So th- some of these young scholars were finding their community for the first time. Mind you, we didn't have a conference. We didn't like, have a call for paper and a gathering and all that. This was in the middle of COVID. So we just had to do it <laughs> in the only way we could. We just did it a La brava. We just went for it. And so we... Everybody just trusted everything that was happening. And so the young scholars were like, well, heck, I gotta get my work out. So they did. And so uh, it's these young scholars that are driving this book. And then check this out, check this out. So so we have all these junior uh, graduate students, you know, uh, professors and so forth. Um, And then they find out they won this major book award on their first publication ever. And so that became really, really wonderful. So I was very happy for them. Yes. And so when you asked me, like, you know, what was the direction of the book? It wasn't about me. It wasn't about you know the field. It was about them. You know, they 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 stepped up. They they showed up. They they showed their style. They showed their grace. They showed their scholarship. And and for them to win an award, they are just beside themselves. They were just crazy bouncing off the walls they were like in disbelief that on their first publication ever they're part of a major uh uh, book prize in 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 the collection of stories can you believe that
2: The other thing that, uh, for me, what this book brings is just the power of stories, but also the responsibility in telling stories that I kept thinking about this uh, with each chapter. The authors here are often part of the stories and the movements that they're covering. But most of the chapters rely also on testimonials, either personal or someone else's testimonials. So talk a bit about the importance of carefully listening to and documenting the stories of people who are experiencing intersectional access of marginalization.
1: Well, this is where my literary uh, background comes in because I teach about testimonio. Oh, rather, I teach about the power of testimonio in Latino, Latin American literature. Uh, it's it's that witnessing aspect that is so critical. In other words, so the, th- these stories are written in such a way that they become powerful because they become testimony for the witnessing of others to participate in the collective experience of grief, of sorrow, of, of alienation, of tristeza. So even though there seems to be a lot of, of distress happening, we also see it as an opportunity to create a collective that consumes all of this distress. In other words, the collective sort of begins to shape uh, the literary uh, or the testimonial aspect, and you begin to see people actually finding a sense of place, a sense of reason, a sense of uh, belonging that otherwise may not have been there and that this is where you you can create um power in the 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 community so does you know so this collective of writers uh for this book have gone on to share in their different communities uh the stories they share these stories with their collectives for example Bambi Sal- Salcedo she's you know a powerful contributor in, in the way she works with the activism in in uh, the, her comunidad in Los Angeles, and so that comes across both in her storytelling, but also in her testimony and in her her ability to witness and share for and speak for the community. These are leaders right now, so these are leaders who are are beginning to you know shape their discourse for the next uh, few decades. So it's that power of, of voice uh, that that defies you know their uh, that defies uh, the the terms of their existence, and for that it's like even becomes more amazing that each story becomes a powerful little tool for each community member to to work with and, and find and use and and, and um, bring back to the community. So that I think it's it's inspiring especially the way the, the testimonial works in Latin American literature.
2: How did you decide on the four sections uh, of the book? Was that something that the, um, the submissions suggested or something that you and the co, uh, your co-editors already had in mind?
0: Slash nbn fifty to get fifty percent off.
1: No, we didn't have in mind. We sort of just, you know, uh, you know, it's like like marbles, canicas. We just sort of saw the different different essays as a bunch of little canicas uh, thrown on the ground, and then we started looking at patterns, and then we decided Eddie and I voted that Magda should should organize it. So Magda Garcia is the one who's responsible for the organization of the chapters, believe it or not. Magda is the one who laid it out and gave each category their 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 definite their their title. So that was her work. Eddie and I worked on the conceptualization of the introduction and all these other different elements, but it is actually Magda Garcia who gave the shape uh, the organization and shape of the book, she's the one that has the 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 or the organizational manita de gato. She has that touch for organization, so we credit her for that. Wonderful. Just for, for folks who do not have
2: the book uh, yet, uh, the four sections are twenty first century student movements, reading performance and performativity from Cuba to Los Angeles. Memory and Memoir Between Sueños y Pesadillas, and From Urban Landscape to Sites of Incarceration. And on Chapter 9, Lorena Munoz notes that, quote, "...gender performance and queer performance are constructed, created, and lived differently while navigating different spaces." So I wanted you to talk a bit about space and place, uh, such important themes in the book. Final ch- uh, section it dears more, deals more directly with queer spaces, queer geographies, but it's something that is you know present throughout the book.
1: Correct, correct. Space is everything, uh, and if you're looking at the transnational, it's how you navigate the space. Um, so in terms of what, what uh, the space and the gendered situation is, is the one that sort of unravels the nation. Let me explain that further. For the last 2000 years, uh, we've invested or well, we, I haven't invested, but rather gender has been invested in this biological notion of the self. And that has come to define our sense of place a mother, a father, a family, you know, you go to work. Everything is defined according to that, okay? So now we're in a transnational global spatialization where a lot of these rules are being undone. And so that the matter of space becomes more difficult to define or rather more impossible to define. And so some people want to go back to the way, you know, it was empire or colonialism or whatever you want to call it. But what we're saying is that we're in a totally different terrain where different possibilities are happening and can exist, not just in Lorena's uh, uh, conceptualization of space, even though she looks at L.A. and L.A. is a very 21st century spatial arrangement. But it is also very transnational. It is also very global. It is also very immigrante. It's also very Latinx. So no, I mean, noticeably, these, these concepts are reshaping our understanding of freedom, of uh, how a nation and a collective are formed. And I think it shows promise and possibility. For, for future generations, if we begin to just give ourselves permission to think differently. And so that's what the book and Lorena's chapter and many of the other uh, essays in the book are saying that we should really uh, use this as an opportunity to you know, think beyond uh, a certain understanding of space. And so the whole enterprise of the transnational and the global, which is sort of implied here in the book, we don't take it as a big theorization. We take it from the standpoint of what people are saying. But the entire global transnational is transforming almost every part of the world. From Europe to Australia to Africa, there is diasporas, there is displacement, all the world through. And it is largely because of the transnational and the global. And so we just see this as one instance of of millions, if not hundreds of millions of cases where the spatial geographies from uh, from uh, empire, Roman empire to the colonial times are completely being undone. So it has hi- historical significance. And it is really up to us to define what the next set of arrangements will be. And this is the time to begin to define that. And that's what we see happening in the book, in the chapters, and in the in the thinking about the space or the spatialization. Speaking of space and place, we
2: can't uh, end this interview without talking about the border, the borderlands, right? So important for the book. Uh, you describe yourself as uh, somebody from the frontera, and. Uh, Talk a little bit about the, the border or the borderlands as not just a very you know tangible specific geographical location, but also as a symbolic and emotional space in the experiences that are being represented in transmovimientos.
1: Well, the, the the border space border spaces are very unique. Border spaces, the interest is between this and that space, they're very unique. And it it's Ironic. Uh, it's, there's a certain irony to that because these borders tend to be less, come with They're less regulated, but also they create also tensions. Uh, whether trying to, let's say, for example, navigate citizenship. It's like, well, you know, tr- everybody's trying to check each other out in term in a border space, whether or not they're citizens or not. Or what actually constitutes citizenship? What constitutes uh, belonging? Do you really need papers to find yourself, you know, belonging in a given nation? So there, there are all these varied and intangible little rules. Uh, for example, like passing for straight is <laughs> might be considered as a as a tangible rule for uh, belonging even though you might be queer. And so that's why you have many instances where you have uh, the down low uh, or you have people passing for citizenship in in other ways. So borderlands are unique spatializations when it comes to um, having to define certain identities. We're used to, I guess in the Western culture, defining things according to identities whereas borderland spaces are less attentive to the identities and more attentive to uh the beingness who do you feel like what do you want to be today what you know what what are you know what can you traverse so there's not a uh, growing up in the border i know for a fact that people did not recognize borders or boundaries in the same way and so much more was possible with that or because of that. And whereas in in other spaces, such as uh, the spaces of academe versus the spaces of, let's say uh, street vending, the rules are different. Um, And so we must be cognizant of the fact that even though we try to have gendered rules or rules for citizenship or rules of culture, they're not always easily, what can I say, managed, but rather they're traversed and they're traversed uh, on a constant basis. So there's no, you know, single way to create an identity-based movement uh, based on this constant state of traversal. And so that's why the book is so important to us, because we witness so many um, examples of the way that happens uh, all the time. And it doesn't matter if you're in New York, or if you're in Florida, or if you're on the, uh, the El Paso-Mexico border, or if you're in Los Angeles, it is consist- consistently the same. It's It's about undoing the rules that bind citizenship and gender. And so that's why this book is exciting for us.
2: And very exciting for me as well. Uh, (laughs) I just enjoyed it so much that I have to ask you, um, what are you working on next? Is there any project you uh, wouldn't mind sharing with
1: us? I am working on, this is just recently. I just I had some research money, so I traveled. I want to do something on Uvalde, Texas, the mass shooting mm. in in Uvalde, Texas. So that's basically what I'm working on, like right now, to sort of flush out more the gendered queer stuff that gets hidden. And this is the irony of of Latino cultures. It's like, uh, it's uh, we don't talk about these things in public. But they're talked about in private, so I want to go explore some more uh, stuff on the Ovalde shooting and how gender, sexuality, transgenderism played out, if it exists, if it was part of the discourse. Oh, and well, I, I hope you come back to talk to us
2: when you have something about that. I've just uh,
1: la, la gente, the, the people, the people don't want to say anything, no quieren hablar, but uh, it's in the middle of a tragedy. So I didn't want to push too hard, but that's what I'm working on right now. Best of luck with that.
2: And Ali, gracias, muchas, muchas gracias. Thank you for talking and taking the time to talk to me.
1: Thank you, Isabel. Wonderful show. I really appreciate you inviting me. Oh, gracias. And to our listeners,
2: thank you for tuning in to this episode of New Books and Gender Studies, a podcast from the New Books Network. I just spoke with Dr. Ellie D. Hernandez about Transmovimientos, Latinx, queer migrations, bodies, and spaces, co-authored with Eddie Francisco Álvarez Jr., and Magda Garcia, and published by the University of Nebraska Press in 2021. I'm Isabel Machado, and until next time.
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.